close, I read Romans 8, beginning at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. And not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, we groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we, wait, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. This morning I would like to focus our attention as we think of Advent for this week and the weeks going forward I'd like us to focus our thoughts on a single word that is a word that is really a very important word in our Christian life, and it is the word hope. What a wonderful word that is to be a people who have hope, that we do indeed have a hope. In many ways this year, the Lord has blessed us, and we are thankful there are many good things that happen, and We rejoice in a couple of marriages that took place, and we heard last week of another marriage that is going to be taking place in February or March. Mariah and Arthur are going to be wed then, and we rejoice with them. And another good announcement that I can make, we also had some births this year, but there's another birth that is going to be taking place next year, and we rejoice with Bryce and Anna uh, that they are... yes. (laughs) Very thankful for that. We rejoice uh, for God's blessing uh, to them, and we want to pray for Anna as she is now with child. But we are also well aware that this year, in many ways, has been a very difficult year for, for many in our congregation. We've rejoiced, and we've also mourned, mourned with several in our congregation. And we are mindful that we are living east of Eden. We are mindful that we are living not in, not in paradise, but we're living in a fallen world that is under a curse. We're living in a wilderness, and we've been reminded of that. We just read here about our bodies, that we are groaning. Many of us know what that is. Some of us are groaning this morning, and we recognize that, again, we are living in a world that is yet under a curse. And yet, as we live in this world, the Bible would have us to see that because of Christmas, because of this baby that was born, if we be in Christ, that we have reason for hope. Again, what a a wonderful, wonderful word 
for a believer that we have hope, a hope in this wilderness. Next week, we're going to look at hope in our brokenness. But this week, Christmas is about hope in the wilderness, in this fallen, difficult world where we see pain, suffering, difficulties, disease, death. We hear of wars and rumors of wars. We see such divisions, strife. But Christ has come to give us a living hope. And so I thought this Christmas would be good for us to think about that, to dwell upon that, and I hope to, by God's grace, to enliven us in this hope that is ours as believers. It is such a sad thing to think of people who live life and they have no hope. And this is true for those who are outside of Christ. There really is no hope outside of him. Paul, when he writes to the Ephesians in chapter 2, says that as Gentiles, we were those who were strangers and aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. We, We were without God and we were without hope in the world. Without God and without hope in the world. Paul writing to the Thessalonians, speaking about believers who have died, he says, We don't grieve as those who have no hope. We have a hope in Christ, but there are those who have no hope in this world. And we can be very thankful that God has given us reason to have a vibrant, real, living hope. And so I want to begin with this hope is contained in the Bible. This is where we find this hope that is revealed for us here. It's contained in the Bible. Now, when we talk about hope, we're not talking about wishful thinking. That's the way a lot of times we use that word. You know, I I hope we have a white Christmas. At least some of you are hoping for a white Christmas. Or little Johnny might say, I'm hoping for a bicycle for Christmas. It's a desire. It's a wish. And sometimes it's used in the Bible that way. In, In 2 John, John says, I hope to come to you. And that's my desire. That's my, I want to do this. But when we talk about Christian hope, it's not a desire. It's not a, a wish. It is something that is real and something that is assured to the child of God. So in a positive sense, a little definition that I've given with regard to Christian hope, it is the joyful assurance and expectation of good that flows from the gospel. It's the joyful assurance and expectation of good that flows out of the gospel. So this is something that we are assured of. It's not wishful thinking. I'm assured of this. And I'm expectant. I'm expecting this. There are things that I do not yet have, but I am trusting and hoping that they will be mine one day. And so we have this hope that is sure, that is steadfast, and we wait with assurance and expectation of the good that God has promised to us through his Son. Many things we already enjoy. There are many things we yet do not have. We have this joyful, hopeful expectation of all the things that God has promised to us in Christ. And the reason that this hope is something that we are so assured of 
is based on several things. This hope is rooted in God's purposes in Christ. This hope is an otherworldly hope. It's not a hope that arises from within us. It's not a hope that we bring about. It is a hope that is rooted in God's own eternal purposes in Christ. And when we think about history, history is the outworking of God's purposes. He is working all things after the counsel of his own will. It's a wonderful truth for us to come and understand that as believers, as we live in this fallen world, that God is about something in this world. He is accomplishing his eternal purposes, and we can be thankful for that. And, and this is a reason that we have hope. So this hope is, is, is rooted in this divine purpose of God that is in Christ, and this is central to it, Christmas and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we hear about the gospel, it is referred to as the gospel of hope, the gospel of hope. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, amazing, the hope of glory. And in Ephesians 1.18, Paul says, I'm praying that your eyes will be opened and enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. I want you to know more and more about this, the hope of his calling and all that that entails. So it's rooted in God's purpose. And then secondly, it is rooted in promises that he's given to us in his word. It is rooted in promises that are found in God's word. So Paul, writing to the Romans, speaking about the Old Testament scriptures, he said that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, that we might have hope. The scriptures have been given that you and I might have hope, a living hope, a sure hope. He later says in chapter 15, verse 13, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, listen to this phrase, that you may abound in hope that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Aren't you thankful that God wants you, if you're in Christ, he wants you to abound in hope. He wants you to, to abound in this hope. And sometimes our life is not described by that, is it? Sometimes our life may reflect more cynical, morose attitude, sullen And no signs, really, of hope. But God, in his work of grace, in saving us and sanctifying us, us, is so that we might abound in hope. In the midst of a broken, fallen world under a curse. That we might be people that are marked by hope. That we might abound in hope. And we are assured also, as we think about this, that... It is a hope that will never be disappointed. It will never be disappointed. This hope is sure. And it will never be disappointed. 
We've had people that have disappointed us. They've made promises to us, and we've been disappointed. But not this hope. God who made the promises is the one who cannot lie and will keep every promise that he's made to his people. Titus 1, Paul says this, a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. So we have the scriptures that have been given to us. We have been given the Lord Jesus Christ in whom all of the promises of God are yes and amen in him. And God gave these promises and he cannot lie. And therefore this hope will never be disappointed. Now we may lose sight of it. We may think that we're disappointed, but the promises that he has made, he will, he will keep those promises. And he cannot lie, and therefore this hope will never, ever be disappointed for the people of God. Aren't you thankful for that? We have reason to have hope, and it's based upon the God who is a covenant maker and a covenant keeper. And our promises, the promises will be fulfilled in him and through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says to the Romans in Romans 5, 5, we, we rejoice in our sufferings. What? what an amazing statement. We're able to rejoice in our sufferings knowing that the sufferings produces endurance and endurance produces character. This is what God's doing through our sufferings. He's producing in us endurance and this uh, this this uh, endurance is producing character. He's making us more like Christ. And this character is also doing something that it's producing in us hope. Hope. In our sufferings, we are learning these things. And one of the things that it's producing in us is hope to enliven the hope. It takes away our hopes in this world. And it sets our hope upon Christ and all that we have in him. And Paul says, this hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through he whom he has given us the Holy Spirit. So secondly, this morning, we see that this hope is central to the biblical narrative. It's contained in the Bible and it is central. Hope is central to this biblical narrative. It's woven, this idea of hope for the believer is woven into the very fabric of the biblical story. And it was first announced east of Eden. And this is following the fall. You remember Adam and Eve were in a garden. They sinned against the Lord God. And he put them outside of the garden and there was an angel with a flaming sword there to keep them from re-entering. They're now outside of paradise They're now in what we could say they're in a wilderness. There's a curse that has come upon them. There's a curse that has come upon the world. It is a wilderness. It's not a garden. It's not a paradise. But it is in that wilderness that we are given the first announcement of hope. 
a first announcement of good news. This is sometimes referred to as the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel, the good news. And amazingly, this announcement is made to Satan. It is the curse that is announced upon Satan as a result of his rebellion against God and his temptation of Eve there in the garden. And here is this announcement that is made by the Lord himself. He says to Satan in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, this is kind of a cryptic message, but it is the first mention of a deliverer, of a savior who is going to come from the seed of the woman. So here is the first reference to Christmas, the first reference to an advent, the coming of this promised one. In the first century, Justin Martyr and Irenaeus, they they both said that they believed this was a reference to the Messiah and the uh, the prophesied coming of uh, this one who would be the Christ. I think they were right, and many understand it in that way and have since that time. Derek Kidner, in our own day, he said, this is the first glimmer of the gospel. Right on the heels of the fall of Adam and Eve there in the garden, here's a, a wonderful message of good news, that this serpent who brought this destruction, this evil, as it were, and, and of course Eve and Adam bought into this, Here's a message of good news that God is going to provide from the seed of the woman, one who will be a deliverer who's going to crush the head of the servant and their serpent. And there will be these two seeds. There will be a seed that will come from the woman that will be a seed that will be followers of God, and there will be the seed of the serpent. There will be this conflict and this enmity between them. And then ultimately from the woman will come the seed, capital S, the Deliverer, the Savior, the Messiah, who will crush the head of the serpent. You see, the story of the fall and of a cursed world is not the last word. The Lord is going to redeem. The Lord is going to, in grace, save a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And he is going to undo the effects of the fall. And he will bring in a new heavens and a new earth. And this will come through the seed of the woman who is going to come through the woman. And how is he going to do this? I will put enmity. God says this. I'm going to put enmity enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman. Now, at this time, Adam and Eve are, we might say, on the same side with Satan. They have fallen. They've had enmity in their heart toward God. They are going their own way. But God is going to disrupt that. He's going to bring about an enmity. There will be a people who will now be a people who will follow after God. There will be a redeemer and a savior to make a people unto God. And he will come and he will bring about these great changes. So this is a gracious thing that God is going to do to produce this enmity between Satan and the seed of the woman. And God will initiate this, and God will bring this about, and it is through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the serpent crusher. 
and he will bring about the redemption of a people. And so it is God himself who is the first evangelist in the Bible. It's not Isaiah, it's not Jeremiah, it's not John the Baptist, not Paul. It is God himself who says that he will do this. He will bring this about. It is further fleshed out for us in the Old Testament prophets. We are told from the seed of the woman is going to come this one who will crush the head of the serpent. There will be a seed of the woman and uh, there will be this opposition between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. But there is more that is given to us as we look at the Old Testament. There are hundreds of verses that speak and give us more information about this one that is to come, this Emmanuel that is promised, that is longed for. So Abraham is told he's going to have a descendant who will bring blessing to all peoples, to all nations. David is told that from his seed there will be one who will reign and rule forever. He will be, Isaiah says, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Isaiah says he is a light to the Gentiles. It will be in him that even the Gentiles will come to hope in him, find their hope in him. It is Micah who tells us that he will be born in Bethlehem. It is Jeremiah who tells us that one of the names that he will be named is this. I love this name. The Lord, our righteousness. He is our righteousness. I have no righteousness in myself. There is none righteous, but to those who are in Christ, he is our righteousness. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But also, as we have already recited today, Isaiah 53 says, he'll be a suffering servant. He bore the sin of many and he made intercession for transgressors. Daniel tells us that he brings in an everlasting righteousness. He puts an end to sin. He's the one that will bring in a new heavens and a new earth. So the Old Testament saints were waiting in hope. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. They were waiting, but they were waiting in hope. And we see some of those at the time in which Christ was born. There was Anna who was waiting. There was Simeon who was waiting, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And he has come. But they were waiting in hope for all of these years. Thirdly, this morning, we see this hope culminates in a cradle, a cross, and a new creation. So when we think about the birth narrative that is found in the Gospels, Matthew, and also in Luke, these stories are not separate stories from other stories in the Bible. It's a part of the big story. It's a part of the big picture. And here is God carrying out his purposes, and central to this is the Lord Jesus Christ and his birth, his coming. And so with the coming of Christ is the realization of the promises made of old. And so in this cradle, in in this baby that is born, we see the fulfillment, this virgin birth, this promised Messiah. It is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the king. This is what the wise men were looking for. Where is he that is the king of the Jews? 
he is alike to the Gentiles, and they shall hope in him. And so this hope is realized in this baby that is in a cradle, but this hope is also realized in a cross. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who will suffer, who will die. It is he who is our righteousness. Peter says that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again to a living hope. I love that statement. We have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here's this hope that Christ has won for us through his suffering, through his death, and appoints us forward to a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth. We are waiting for our inheritance that is reserved for us in heaven. It's not going to fade away. It's reserved for us. Christ will make all things new one day. He's bringing in a new humanity. We sang in that hymn, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. Christ the Lord upon the tree, in the stead of ruined sinners hangs the lamb in victory. See the price. See the price of our redemption. See the Father's plan unfold, bringing many sons to glory, grace unmeasured, love untold. This is the unfolding of the eternal purpose and plan of God with the birth of this baby there in Bethlehem. And all of our hopes rest in him. This is a real hope that we have. This is not a naive hope that we're just hoping against hope. It is a hope that rests upon the incarnate son of God who became a man, came and was made like us, who gave his life on a cross, who was buried, who was raised again, ascended above. Our hope rests in him. And all the promises of God are yes and amen in him. And this is our hope. And God who made these promises cannot lie. He will do what he has promised that he will do. And therefore, it cannot be disappointed. And so thanks be to God for this hope that Christ has won for us, which is the outworking of God's eternal purpose for his people. He will save his people and he will do them good. We join with the psalmist David, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. How long? All the days of my life. And then what? I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That covers all our days and encompasses eternity. Sinclair Ferguson, I was reading his book on on. Advent and it goes through 1 Corinthians 13 and relates it all to 1 Corinthians 13. But in verse 7, it says that love hopes all things. Love hopes all things. And he says this. He means that we have an underlying confidence that God will be with us and bless us just as he promised. Even when life is at its worst, 
It is a hope that we can hold on to even when we are suffering, even when life seems to be unraveling at the seams, even when our worst nightmares are coming true. We can still have hope because God kept his biggest promise, his oldest and costliest promise, when love came down at Christmas. Herein is our hope, brothers and sisters. It is found in Jesus Christ. He is our hope, and we have reason for hope. Now, as we still live in this wilderness, we need to wait upon God, trusting him that he will do good all the days of our life. Tonight, we're going to talk about that important word as it relates to our hope, and it's the word waiting. We're called to wait when there are dark days, to wait upon the Lord, to trust his promises, because we're living in between the two advents, and we're also waiting. There is much more yet to come. There is the culmination, the consummation of the work of salvation. We don't have everything yet, but it one day will be ours when Christ comes again. So I want us to be encouraged this Christmas to think about this Christmas hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. May we rejoice. May we give thanks to God. Maybe you're here today and you don't have that hope. You don't have hope in this fallen world. Your hope is in other things that are going to, they will disappoint you. But here is a hope that transcends this life, goes into eternity. It gives us hope here in this world, even now. The hope of Christ, the hope of the gospel. As we close this morning, I invite you to take your hymn book, book and turn to number 141. And we're just going to sing one verse of this. It is, O little town of Bethlehem. And I love the line in there, that it's in this little town that we find that our hopes and our fears are met together there this night when Christ is born. 141. Let's stand together as we sing.